Let me begin by saying this. You're either suffering right now or you're in a pre-suffering phase and you're going to suffer later. Sorry to say it, but that's some realism for the new year. You're either suffering right now or you're in a pre-suffering phase and you're going to suffer later. And by opening up the scriptures with you tonight, I'm going to give you a couple of considerations that will help you deal with the suffering you're facing now, if you're in a suffering phase, or I'm going to give you a couple of considerations that will help you prepare for the suffering you'll face later, if you're in a pre-suffering phase. So let's jump right in with this simple observation. God's plan involved Babylonian conquest and exile. God's plan involved Babylonian conquest and exile. In Zephaniah, we read the Lord say, Woe to her who is rebellious and defiled, the oppressing city. This is Jerusalem. The Lord saying, Woe to Jerusalem. He says in verse 8 of Zephaniah chapter 3, Therefore wait for me, declares the Lord, when, for the day when I rise up to seize the prey. You see, the Babylonians were an instrument of God's judgment. But ultimately, it was God who planned for the Babylonians to conquer Jerusalem and to carry away its people into exile in Babylon. God had a timeline in mind that the people would be carried away and be there for 70 years. And so we read in Jeremiah chapter 29 in verse 10, For thus says the Lord, When 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will visit you, and I will fulfill to you my promise and bring you back to this place. Okay, we often skip over that first part. We get to, I will visit you. I will fulfill to you my promise. I will bring you back to this place. I know the plans I have for you, right? But wait, what does it say? When 70 years are completed for Babylon, it was God's plan that the people of Jerusalem would be conquered and would go to Babylon and would stay there for 70 years. And I just read two sample texts tonight. Jeremiah 29 and Zephaniah 3. Just sample texts. We could find more texts like this. We could multiply them. If we had the time and the energy and the diligence, we could multiply so many texts that demonstrate very clearly that this wasn't, certainly wasn't against God's will, nor was it something that God sort of permitted to happen. But this was actually what God intended to happen. God planned that the Babylonians would come and conquer Jerusalem 
carry away its people and keep them there in Babylon for 70 years. Lamentations chapter 2 and verse 1 begins like this. How the Lord in His anger, how the Lord in His anger has set the daughter of Zion under a cloud. He has cast down from heaven to earth the splendor of Israel. He has not remembered his footstool in the day of his anger. The Lord has swallowed up without mercy all of the habitations of Jacob. In his wrath, he has broken down the strongholds of the daughter of Judah. He has brought down to the ground in dishonor the kingdom and its rulers. And the whole chapter goes on and on like that. Who did it? Jerusalem is burning. Who did it? Well, on one level, the Babylonians. On another level, the Lord. This was no accident. Nor was this merely something that God just stayed out of and permitted. This was part of God's plan. Part of His providence. This is part of the journey that in which God is behind the steering wheel driving. This is what God intended to happen in history. And even believers in God, even those who trusted in His promises, even those who believed in the promises of a coming Messiah, even they had to go through this harrowing experience. Most likely Jeremiah was the author of Lamentations. It's not 100%, but most likely Jeremiah was the author. Whoever it was, though, we know that they were a believer. I'm not going to say Christian because that would be somewhat anachronistic since the Christ had not come. But the Christ had been promised. He was called the Messiah in their language. So, if by Christian we mean one who trusted in the promise of the coming Messiah in Hebrew or the coming Christ in Greek, well, okay, then even Christians had to go through this harrowing experience. The faithful, the true Jews, the true Israelites, those who were not merely the biological offspring of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, but those who were of faith, the remnant within Israel, even they had to go through this harrowing experience as God poured His wrath upon the society around them, upon the city in which they lived. They had to go through that. God's plan involved Babylonian conquest and exile. That's the first observation. The second observation is that in the midst of bad circumstances, God nevertheless loved His true people, those true Jews, that Israel within Israel, right? Those who believe, those who are of faith, who are not merely Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob's biological offspring, but were also uh, spiritual offspring. 
of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. The remnant. Paul says in Romans 9, not all Israel is Israel. He's getting at the point that there, there are those within Israel who are believers and they are really, really Israel. Really, really God's people. In the midst of bad circumstances, God nevertheless loved those people and His mercy for them never ran dry. This brings us right to our text tonight. Jerusalem is burning and yet this believer, most likely Jeremiah, says in verse 21, but this I call to mind and therefore I have hope. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Even when God caused, when God planned for His people to be in bad circumstances, it didn't mean that He stopped loving them. It didn't mean that His mercy had run dry. Sometimes we look around us when we're in a bad circumstance and we might wonder, has God stopped loving me? Has God's mercy run out? Have I used it all up? The answer here that the Bible gives us is no, never. The steadfast love of the Lord or or another good translation that's been suggested for that Hebrew word is covenant love. God's covenant love never ceases. Those with whom He has entered into a covenantal relationship whereby they are trusting in His grace given to us in the person of the Messiah and have become His children. They have been justified. Their sins have been pardoned. They have been counted as righteous. They have been made His own. They have been brought near to God. Those people God is in covenant with and He never stops loving them. Even when He puts them into a bad circumstance, it doesn't mean that He has stopped loving them. And it doesn't mean that He has run out of mercy. Again, we might feel like that. But if we stop and think about it, we can add up numerous mercies at any given time. Numerous mercies. Think of it, strictly speaking, what do you deserve? What, do you, what are you owed by God? What may you demand from God? And when you, when you realize that, well, strictly speaking, hell, but if we say, well, my sins have been pardoned, so I'm not going to hell, what else then could I demand from God? Well, the answer would be nothing. 
So whatever, whatever bad God has not visited on you, right? Whatever good thing He has given you is of mercy and grace. And so even in the midst of profound suffering, you could look around you and see the mercies of God. God doesn't promise to spare us temporal difficulties. But He does promise to be with us in it, in the midst of temporal difficulties. And He does promise to bring us out of temporal difficulties. Whether by death or relief from them. In other words, He doesn't promise you're going to get out of it next month. He doesn't promise you're going to get out of it next year. He doesn't even promise you're going to get out of it next decade. But He does promise you're not going to be in it for eternity. So He's either going to relieve you in the here and now, or when you die, you're going to be relieved of it. So God does promise to bring you out eventually and ultimately, but to be with you in the meantime. Isaiah 43 and verse 2 and following read like this. Well, I'm only going to read verse 2. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned, and the flame shall not consume you. See, the Lord does not say there won't be waters. The Lord doesn't say that there won't be a fire. But the Lord says, I will be with you when you pass through. And the Lord says, ultimately, right, it's not going to consume you. You might have to go through it, but it's not going to ultimately consume you. In Matthew 28, he tells us, I am with you always. I'm going to circle back around to that in a minute. 1 Peter Chapter 5, verse 10, says this, After you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to His eternal glory in Christ, will Himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. When will He do that? After you have suffered a little while. See? Revelation 21 Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. And he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. So we see that God's plan involved Babylonian conquest and exile. But we also see that in the midst of bad circumstances, God nevertheless loves His people and His mercy for them never runs dry. 
we see that manifest in the fact that He still loves us in the midst of it, that He's with us in the midst of it, that there are still many mercies even when we're suffering, and that He's eventually going to bring us out of these things. He hasn't abandoned us altogether. We see that there is this promise that after you suffer a little while, God's going to comfort you. We see that one day, after this difficulty, God is going to make all things new. Here's some application. God's plan for you may involve Babylonian conquest and exile, so to speak. I'm not suggesting a resurrection of Nebuchadnezzar or anything strange and bizarre like that, but I think you understand what I'm saying. God may well have the same sort of thing in mind for our society, for our culture, for your family, for your workplace, for a car you're in that gets hit by another one that crosses the line. God may have a plan for you that involves being subject to the normal societal ills that plague us, crime, poverty. God may have a plan for you that involves going through a natural disaster along with everyone around you the same way that Jeremiah had to experience the temporal difficulties of Jeremiah of Jerusalem being destroyed. God's plan for you may well involve difficulties. God nowhere promises you easy circumstances, Christian. In fact, God promises in this world you will have trouble. God also promises whoever wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. God also promises they will hate you and revile you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you for my name's sake. Etc. But God loves you in the midst of it. Christian, His steadfast love for you never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. You can be sure that God will be with you in the midst of these things. As Isaiah said, when we pass through the water and the fire, God is with us. Jesus said, no, I am with you always. When they hate us, when they persecute us, when we, in this world we have trouble, when a natural disaster comes, when a car accident happens, when you get cancer, when a loved one dies, God loves you. His mercies are there with you. And one day God is going to bring you through it and out on the other side, whether by temporarily relieving you from it or simply at death or the return of Christ. It's not going to be forever. But God's plan for you may involve a Babylonian exile. I got this WhatsApp message today. I decree and declare that you are going to cross over and take over to year 2021 gallantly and gloriously in Jesus' name. As you step into the new year, all the blessings of the Almighty will not elude you and yours in Jesus' name. Without fail, this sort of stuff circulates via WhatsApp and other social media around the end of the year, declaring next year to be the year when God finally gives us all good circumstances. Well, 
Many of those things circulated at the end of 2019, you know. And what, do you, what did you see 2020 bring us? Some sort of Babylonian exile. Right? So here we are. Boy, this was not the, the year of vision that everybody decreed and declared. Look, this in Jesus' name stuff is Christian language, but this kind of nonsense is not really Christian thought. Christian thought is based on the Bible. 2021 may not be the year that you cross over and take over. But it will be another year in which the same God that was presiding over the events described in Zephaniah and Jeremiah and Lamentations. It will be another year in which the same God is presiding. It will be another year in which God is working out His sovereign purposes. It will be another year in which some people in this world will experience suffering. It will be another year in which many people will go through a Babylonian exile of sorts. But it will be another year in which the steadfast love of the Lord persists with His people. And it will be another year in which His mercies are extended to us. It will be another year in which His mercies will be new every morning. It will be another year in which God is the same as He's always been. And as He always will be. And it will be another year in which His faithfulness towards us will be great. So, I'm not decreeing anything tonight. But I am going to make a declaration. I declare that in 2021, the steadfast love of the Lord will not cease. I declare that in 2021, His mercies will not come to an end. I declare that in 2021, His mercies will be new every morning. I declare that in 2021, great will be His faithfulness. So stop listening to these silly WhatsApp messages that are circling around. You don't know what 2021 brings. They, they, they obviously didn't know what 2020 would bring. Stop listening to this nonsense. Even if it's couched in Christian language, it's not Christian thought. Christian thought is based on the Bible. And Christian thought says, I don't know what 2021 holds, but God does. And God is sovereign, and God is working out His purposes. God may visit His wrath upon people in 2021. God may have planned and purposed for suffering for these people or those people or for me or for you. We don't know. But we do know that the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. That His mercies never come to an end. That they're new every morning. That great is His faithfulness. This you should call to mind. And therefore have hope for 2021. Trust in that. Hope in that. Instead of hoping in the shallow and superfluous and empty and void promises of false prophets who really have no business speaking authoritatively for God as they have run when no one has sent them 